Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary PSL. Please join lead pastor Mike Wiggins for the message, Doers of the Word. All right, so if you were with us last week, you know that we tackled a really important issue. The issue was how to overcome temptation, how to get victory over temptation, right? How to be an overcomer. And so in that message, we discovered <clears throat> that the process, and it is a process, nobody gives in to temptation and falls away from the Lord you know, overnight. It's a process, and that process we identified last week um, is made up of at least six steps, characterized by six steps. And so if you remember this, the first step was detect, and then dwell, and then desire, and then after that, being drawn away from the Lord, and then doing whatever we're tempted to do, and then finally, death. And so after defining those steps, we saw how two famous biblical characters gave in to temptation and fell away, right? Eve in the Garden of Eden, and David, first in his mind and heart on the rooftop of the palace, and then physically when he committed adultery with Bathsheba. And so after they fell away, we were reminded last week that the consequences that came down on Eve, all right, Adam and Eve, and the consequences that came down on, on David, even though they were forgiven, they still had to bear the consequences, and those consequences were terrible. And here's the good news. We today can avoid those consequences. And so we ended the message by giving you four practical steps of how to overcome temptation. And so the first one was magnify the consequences. Man, that lure might look really good, but with every lure, there's a hook. Focus on the hook, not so much on uh, the beauty of the lure. And so magnify the consequences. Deal with it early. Deal with it when it's just a thought in your head before it becomes something that's a lot stronger and harder to deal with. And then we said number three, use the word of God, right? How many of you guys in this room right now really believe that there's power in this book? There's power in the Bible, right? And so we use the word of God as Jesus used the word of God as he overcame temptations in the wilderness. And then finally, we walk in the spirit because the promise of God's word is if we walk in the spirit, listen to this, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. All right, so that was last week. If you missed it, I wanna encourage you. Go to the website, watch it, download the podcast. Man, listen to it on your way to work. It really has the potential to be a life-changing message, listen to this, if we're doers of the word and not hearers only, which is a subject that James is gonna deal with now in our passage today. And so right now, we are looking at James chapter one and verse 17. Now the reason we're looking at verse 17 is because we ended with what verse last week? Everybody shout it out. 16. And so if you're new to Calvary, this is what we do. Most of the time we go through God's word verse by verse, and so we pick it up in verse 17. Every good gift, and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation <clears throat> or shadow due to change. All right, so James 
refers to God as the Father of lights. He's reminding us that God is the creator of the sun, right, the source of light for those of us who live on earth, obviously, and the moon, which reflects that sunlight. And so concerning the Father of lights, James tells us we need to remember two things. All right, if you're taking notes, the first thing we need to remember is God's good gifts. God's good gifts. And then the second thing that we, re- that we need to remember is his immutable or unchanging nature. All right, so the first thing we gotta remember is God's good gifts, and we see that again in verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, all right? So James felt the need to remind his readers of God's goodness, and you might think, why? Well, the reason why is because some of his readers were questioning God's goodness. And so some of his readers had actually blamed God for the negative experience of being tempted, right? They're going through a difficult time, a difficult trial. They're having a hard time. And, and, and what's happening is because of their own desires, as we learned last week, they're being tempted. But some of them had the audacity to blame God for the fact that they were being tempted. And so how did James respond to that? By way of review, please look back at verse 13. James says in chapter one, verse 13, let no one say when he is tempted, quote, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. And so as a perfect, pure, Moral being, God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, God would never solicit anybody to sin. God would never solicit anybody to commit evil. Just the opposite, as James indicates in, chapter, in, in verse 17. God's a good God and God gives good gifts. And so I wanna think about this for a moment. What are some of the good gifts that God gives to us. And so think about it in your own mind and heart. And I'll share some of the ones that I thought of this week. The first thing I thought of was scripture. What a gift. Even though most of the world's not looking at it, I know it's still the number one bestseller, but you know, a lot of people just buy it and it gathers dust on their shelf. But what a gift. Hey, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. What does that mean? That means that I don't have to navigate my way through this dark, fallen world by my own. I have the light of God's truth. And all scripture is given by inspiration, literally breathed out by God. This is a gift from heaven, a love letter from heaven, a a roadmap through life. The scripture, how about salvation, right? God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that whoever, listen to this, believes in him will not perish. Well, I think all people go to heaven. Well, you're denying John 3, 16. Will not perish, but have everlasting life. How many of you guys are really happy that through Christ you have everlasting life? That's good news, that's a good, Gift, the scripture, right? Salvation, how about security? 
If you're truly born again, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. How about peace? Jesus says, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, not as the world give I unto you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And so when all hell is breaking loose and we're going through a difficult time, we turn to Christ in prayer and all of a sudden what happens? He wraps us with his arms, so to speak, and we have, have the peace of God. Are you thankful for that gift? I am. Provision. Seek first the kingdom of God. Not the kingdom of man, not your kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things, the necessities of life, will be, there's a promise, added to you. So God promises, if you put him first, he'll meet your needs, not necessarily your greeds. But that's a gift, his peace, his provision, his protection. Thou, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. God's my shield. Life, liberty, love, I could go on and on and on, all right? And so the next time, ladies and gentlemen, you're tempted to believe the lie of the devil that God is not good, here's what you gotta do. You gotta pause yourself, and you need to begin to bring up and think about the many good gifts that God has given you. And then, instead of mumbling and grumbling, have an attitude of gratitude. That's what the Lord wants us to do. The next thing we should remember is not just his good gifts, but his immutable nature. The word immutability means unchanging. Unchanging, right? That's our God. He doesn't change. Look, look at it again in verse 17. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, here it is, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. All right, so from our perspective here on earth, the sun quote unquote rises and then it quote unquote sets. And as the sun is rising and as it's setting, what is it doing? It's casting changing shadows all day long. Right At 12 noon, if I go outside underneath a cloudless sky, there's gonna be little to no shadow. But the longer I stand outside, what happens? The longer my shadow becomes. My shadow shifts. My shadow changes. James says, hey, even though the shadows change, God never changes. Why? Because he's immutable. Check out what the prophet Malachi said under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, right? I, the Lord, God says through Malachi, do not change. And then look at what God said through the author of Hebrews. Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, by the way, is the same yesterday and today and for how long? Forever. And so ladies and gentlemen, God is so different from us. Let's think about this. We're mutable, he's immutable. We're temporal, he's eternal. We're contingent, he's necessary. We're finite, he's infinite. We're sinful, he's holy. We're selfish, he's love. 
We're composite beings. He's a simple being. Now when I say God is a simple being, I'm not saying that he's simple-minded. All right, I wanna define define, uh, divine simplicity for you. The definition of divine simplicity is simply that God's attributes are identical to his nature. God, ladies and gentlemen, the true God, the only God, (laughs) the God of the Bible, he's not made up of parts, because anything made up of parts can come apart. So God is not part holy, and part just, and part loving, and part merciful. No, he is holy, and he is just, and he is love, and he is mercy. God doesn't possess those attributes. He is those attributes. And so once again, God's attributes are identical to his nature. Can we think a little deeper about this this afternoon? Will you go a little bit deeper with me here? Yes or no? Yes, all right, so let's go a little bit deeper. Let's think about this. Because God doesn't change, he doesn't have attributes in varying degrees, right? It's not as if sometimes God is more holy than at other times, or sometimes God is more loving than at other times. No, 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 no. The idea of more or less requires change, and God does not change. I say that because uh, some people have this, this, this mindset that in the Old Testament, right, God was really holy, and God was really wrathful, but when you turn to the New Testament, it's like he changed, and all of a sudden, he's very loving, and he's very gracious. That's not true. That's impossible because God doesn't change. His attributes do not fluctuate from one time period to another, from one dispensation to another because his attributes are identical to his nature which is immutable, which does not change. You say, why in the world is all this so important? The reason why is because if we don't understand the truth about God, ladies and gentlemen, we may start worshiping a God of our own making. If we don't understand the truth about God, then all of a sudden, we decide what God is like. And we start to create a God in our image. And the next thing you know, we're idolaters. We start worshiping a God of our own making instead of the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is simple. He's not made up of parts. The God of the Bible is immutable. He doesn't change. Let me illustrate this in terms of his justice and his love. God is not part just and part loving. No, he is just and he is love. And the fact that God is just, here's what it means. Here's the word of God. For the wages of sin is what? Death. That's an eternal decree. That cannot be changed. That cannot be broken. God is just. He's a just judge. He requires justice. The wages of sin is death. 
God is also, he's love. Not part just, part love, he is just, he is love, okay? What does that mean? That, here's the scriptures, God showed his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us, all right? So, so here's the gospel. Try to fit it in as much as I can, right? Here's the gospel, right here. So please listen, if you're watching right now, listen more than you ever have listened. The good news is this, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The eternal word, Christ, left heaven. He came to earth, right? And uh, he added a human nature to his already eternally existing divine nature. Fully God, fully man, and he was born of a virgin. And then he lived an absolutely perfect life. He never sinned, no, not even one time. And then this spotless, pure lamb of God, not forced, willingly, what did he do? He bore our sins in his body on the tree, the wood of the cross. And as he hung halfway between heaven and earth on that cross, what did he do? He absorbed the wrath of a just God that we should have received in our place for you and for me. He died in our place and he paid for our sins in full. And the beauty of the cross is that God who is just and God who is love, well his justice and his love were fully satisfied at the cross. Some people say that his love and his justice kissed at the cross. And yes, we should right now put our hands together and thank God for this glorious salvation that he has given to us. It's amazing, absolutely amazing. Don't try to make up a God in your own mind. Don't try to create a God however you think that God should be, no. What you and I think matters very, very little. What the Bible says is what is true. And you say, well, how do you know it worked? Jesus dying on the cross. Here's how you know it worked. He rose again. The resurrection, he got up, he walked, the same body that was crucified. He didn't just die, he didn't just rise spiritually. No, no, physical resurrection, he got up and he walked out victorious over sin, death, and Satan. So our salvation through Christ is the best gift we could ever receive. And it's described as a new birth in verse 18, the next verse. All right, so look at verse 18. Of his own will, by the way, because it says his own will, I've, I've said it over and over, quoting C.S. Lewis, to say that we initiated all this, <laughs> that we went looking for God, that one day we woke up and said, hey, I'm gonna get saved today. It's like saying a mouse goes looking for a cat. And so of his own will, look at this, he brought us forth. There it is right there. Every word matters in God's book. Brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures or his created things. Okay, the phrase brought us forth carries the idea of childbirth. 
And so just like a mother gives birth to her children physically, so God gives birth to his children spiritually, and that spiritual new birth is the greatest gift that a father of lights could give to us. Okay, so how do you receive the new birth? Look again at verse 18. Of his own will, he brought us forth, here it is, by the Word of truth. All right, so everybody say, word of truth. All right, okay, so here it is, right here. The Spirit of God uses the Word of God to make us children of God. And that's beautifully illustrated in Acts chapter 10. And so in Acts chapter 10, it's the story of Cornelius and his family and friends and how, listen to this, they were born again through the preaching of the word of God. So as Peter shared the gospel, the spirit of God took the word of God, and what did he do? He convicted Cornelius, he convicted his family and his friends of their sins. He showed them their need for a savior, and when they turned to the risen Christ in repentance and faith, listen, they received the new birth, the Holy Spirit, you remember this in Acts 10, just fell upon them, and so Peter later wrote to the Christian community, and he said this, look at this. You have been, what's the next two words? Born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding, <laughs> there it is, word of God, word of God. And so I don't want you to answer out loud, I want you to just answer this in your heart between you and the Lord. How many times have you been born? And so right now, if you're thinking, um, once, <laughs> that's not enough. It's not enough. Jesus said in John 3 to a very religious guy, you, sir, must be born again. You need to be born a second time. All right, so how do we receive the new birth? Once again, you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. And so, if you're with me here, say amen. amen. Ephesians 1.13, when we hear the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation, and we accept, we believe, we trust that gospel, that good news of Jesus for ourselves, personally, the Spirit of God causes us to be born again. Now here's what I love. What we, at that moment, what we experience in our hearts, that will one day become a reality for the entire universe. That's what it says at the end of verse 18. All right, so look at 18 again. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, here it is, that we, should be a kind of first fruits, all right? So everybody say the word first fruits. Okay, first fruits of his creatures or, or created things, all right? So in the realm of agriculture, the first fruits of the harvest indicated that more fruit's gonna come, all right? Here they come, bringing in the corn. What does that mean? It's the first of the corn, what does that mean? That means that there's more corn coming. All right, and so in the realm of Christ's kingdom, the first fruits of our new birth <laughs> means that there's a, a new 
kingdom coming, right? A, a new creation is coming. So you can read all about it later in the last two chapters of your Bible, Revelation chapter 21 and 22, where John sees a new heaven and a new earth. And so listen to this. First, the kingdom of Christ comes to our hearts as believers. We're born again. But what does that mean? He says at the end of verse 18, we're first fruits of his created things. So that means that just like, here comes the corn, here, more corn's coming. Well, well here, here comes the children of God. Christ is in their heart. The kingdom of God is in their heart. What does that mean? That one day, there's a whole new creation coming and there's gonna be a new heavens and a new earth. No more sin, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more Satan, no more demons, none of that. No more sickness, no more COVID-19 or whatever. It's coming, it's coming. I'm telling you, it's coming to a theater near you, whether you believe it or not. All right, so look at verse 19. He said, know this, my beloved brothers. Do you remember how I said every word counts? Okay, so remember beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put your seatbelts on, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. I'm telling you, James does not pull punches here. He's telling some of the beloved brothers what you're doing is filthy, what you're doing is wicked, you need to put it away. By the way, I'd rather have someone who speaks the truth to me in love than someone who, in quote unquote love, never points out my wrongdoing. Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. All right, so in verse 19, James addresses his readers as beloved brothers. And so I believe this section is for Christians. So what does James want the believers to know? Here it is. As Christians, we need to prepare the soil of our hearts to continue to receive the implanted word. That's what we need to do. So before a farmer plants a seed, what does he do before he does that? He prepares the field. How does he prepare the field? He plows it up. So the same way we, Christian, we need to prepare our, the soil of our hearts to keep receiving the implanted word. We need to break up that fallow ground. And James shows us how. It's very simple. If you wanna prepare the soil of your heart, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, and keep repenting of sin. Then, as you're breaking up that fallow ground, plowing it, right, then you're able to continue to receive the implanted word, the seed of the word, which is able to save or rescue your souls. Now, since James is talking to Christians, that word save there is synonymous with sanctification. So if you're kinda new to Christianity or new to the Bible, um, please understand this, there are three aspects to our salvation. All right, number one, there's justification. 
That's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We turn to Christ in repentance and faith. What, what happens? He justifies us. He declares that we're righteous. And so in justification, I have been saved from the penalty of sin. That's why you hear some people say, well, I'm saved. Well, praise the Lord, I am too. Saved from the penalty of sin. But then, does it stop there? No. There's three aspects of salvation. The next step is sanctification. Sanctification is a lifelong process. Justification, bam, you're justified. Sanctification, your whole life, my whole life. And what's happening in sanctification? It means to be set apart. So Christ is setting us apart from the world of flesh and the devil. And what he's doing is, listen to this, he's saving us from the power of sin. Justification, I have been saved from the penalty of sin. Sanctification, lifelong process, I'm being saved from the power of sin. And so for someone to say, well, I'm being saved, well, praise the Lord, so am I. And then the third aspect of salvation, my favorite, is glorification. That's when we receive our new, glorified, resurrected, immortal, indestructible, right, bodies. And at that point, we're saved from the presence of sin. Anybody looking forward to that? That's gonna be a glorious day. All right, so James is writing to Christians, so where are they at? Sanctification. Sanctification, and so as we are quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, and we keep repenting of sin, the Holy Spirit sanctifies us. He continues to save us from the power of sin. And so what do we need to do? Here's what you gotta do, what I gotta do. We gotta be quick to hear. Quick to hear the word of God. And this is why I go verse by verse by verse every single weekend. Because, listen, I could stand up here for 40, 45 minutes and tell story after story after story about my life with very little word of God, but that's not gonna help you at all. You and I, we need God's word. We gotta be quick to hear the word of God, and then we gotta be slow to speak. That means that as you're reading in your devotions or listening to a message or whatever, there's things in here that are, are, are kinda hard to understand. Now, when that happens, listen, don't have an attitude and start questioning God. No, be slow to speak. Don't question God. As soon as you decide to question God, you're saying, I'm smarter than God? Really? The eternal God? The uncreated God? No. Here's what we know. As we continue to grow, things start to make sense. More and more and more in God's word, you just gotta trust him. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. As the word of God is being preached, as the word of God is being taught, what happens is the spirit of God convicts. He moves around and he convicts. He points out our sin and he makes us uncomfortable. Now when that happens, be slow to anger. Don't get angry, don't get mad, get glad, right? Why? Because you got a God that loves you enough to point out your sin before you continue in that sin and go down into some kind of pit somewhere. So thank God, right? Mom and dad, your little toddler walks up to the stove and he's about to put his hand up on the, the burning and what do you do? Don't do that. Why? Because you enjoy smacking your kid's hand? No, because you love your kid and that's what God does. 
As the word is being taught and preached and as we're having our devotions, he'll come with conviction. Thank you, Lord. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, and keep repenting of sin. He tells us that in verse 21. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, okay? So keep pulling out those stubborn weeds of sin in your life, in my life. We pull them out. Why is that important? So that we, rest of the verse, can receive with meekness the seed, the implanted word, which is able to save, sanctify our souls. And so as we prepare the soil of our hearts, and we're quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, and we keep repenting of sin, what happens is we receive the implanted word, and what happens after that? Well, fruit, (laughs) fruit. And so what happens is we are not just hearers of the word, we're not just receiving seed, receiving seed, receiving seed, receiving seed, no. We're doers of the word. And that's exactly what he says now in verse 22. Check it out. Verse 22, but be, and by the way, can I just, everybody look at me real quick? This is God talking right here. God is speaking through his scriptures. The God who created you in your mother's womb and created me as well. And so, hey, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Here's your next point. The primary mark of spiritual maturity, the, of spiritual growth, after that seed is planted, the thing starts to grow, right? Well, the primary mark of spiritual maturity is not listening to the word, but what? Living the word, living the word. So many Christians are deceived because they think, I have my devotions every morning, I read my chapter, check, and then I listen to you know, David Jeremiah, David Guzik, or Tony Evans, or who, you know, Chuck, um, um, Charles Stanley, whoever, on my way to work. And then I, I come here and I, I hear the word of God. And so I'm so spiritual. No, you're not. That's not a mark of spirituality. Hey, hearing the word is not a mark of spirituality. It's when you do, it's when I do the word. And so listening to the word, thank God you're listening to the word, but living the word, that's the mark of true spiritual maturity and true spiritual growth. And so just as planting a seed, right, yields a harvest of fruit. Hey, plant that corn seed, and then later, wow, look at that corn field. It should be the same thing in our lives. Hey, plant that word of God into that heart. Prepare it first, break up that fallow ground, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, and keep repenting of sin. There's the the seed, and now, hey, what's supposed to happen? A fruitful life. We're supposed to be doers of the word and not hearers only, and if that is not happening in your life, something is seriously wrong. And so James talks about that now in verse 23 and 24. He says, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a what? What at the end of verse 23? A mirror, okay, so back then, I just learned this this week, they didn't have mirrors like we have mirrors in the first century. Their mirrors were 
beaten down bronze or silver, depending on how much money you had, and polished. <laughs> That's why Paul said, you know, we see through a glass darkly. And so that was their mirrors. I just, that wasn't in the notes, I just threw that in for free. All right, so verse 23, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. All right, so I want you to imagine this scenario with me, okay? Let's say my wife, who loves Haiti, who loves GVCM, who loves ministering and visiting the orphans, let's say she's down there for a week, and so I'm by myself here in Port St. Lucie. It's Sunday morning, I wake up, I roll out of bed, I stagger to the bathroom, I look in the mirror, and I see there's adjustments that need to be made right here. All right, so there's goop in my eyes, grease on my forehead, whiskers on my face, my hair's pointing up all over the place, but I notice that it's lighter in the bathroom than usual, and I look over at the clock, and the clock says 10 a.m. So what happened? I slept, Stacy's not there, I slept through my alarm, and church has started, and I'm the pastor. So what do I do? I run into my closet, I throw on my clothes, I put on my shoes, right? Listen to this, forgetting what I saw in the mirror. And I jump in my car, and because I live close away, I'm here, and I, it's right at the end of the video announcements, and so here I come, out on the platform, welcome to Calvary, right, and there's goop in my eyes, there's whiskers on my face, my hair is sticking straight up, my shirt is halfway out. Get this white stuff all over my lips, whatever that stuff is, I don't know what it is. And, and here's what I know. A lot of you would say, it's okay, pastor, we love you. And some of you would think, doesn't he have a mirror? <laughs> All right, so why would you say that? Because the purpose of a mirror is to make adjustments to what is wrong. And so James is saying that the word of God is like a mirror. And so what is this, verse 24, about looking into the mirror and then walking away, forgetting what you see? No, 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 here's what you need to do, last verse. Verse 25, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, that's what God's word will do. It'll set you free. And so the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, a doer who acts. <laughs> He will be blessed in his doing. And so here's your last point. God's word is like a mirror. So after we look into it, we should make changes to our lives. That's what this is all, all about here. And so here's my challenge before you have your devotions. I want you to pray what David prayed in Psalm 139. He said, search me, O God, and know my hearts. All right, so, so it's not about, you know, devotions are not primarily about sitting down and having an intellectual, you know, Bible study where I can get more knowledge, and that's it. No, you missed it. I want you to pray what David prayed. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see 
if there's any grievous, wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Then, then, open the mirror of the word. Here's what's gonna happen. As you're reading through, you might see some goop in your eyes. You may see your hair sticking up. You may see some things that need adjustment. And right there, you and I, we have a choice. You can either close the mirror and walk away and forget what you saw, or you can be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. Now what happens if you choose the latter as opposed to the former? What does it say at the end of verse 25? It says if you're a doer and not just a hearer, you'll be blessed. Does anybody in this room wanna be blessed? <laughs> be a doer.